Curiously, today is titled Divine Mercy Sunday and not Good Friday. We don't call Good Friday Divine Mercy Friday, which we often say, well, the work of mercy happened when Christ died for us. When Christ died for us, that's when we see the mercy of the Father. And so I want to explore, just make a few comments on why that is, that today we call this moment when Jesus visits the apostles in the upper room, locked there for fear of the Jews, Divine Mercy Sunday and the fullness of mercy, rather than just Good Friday. I think the first point, the first point, Jesus does not complete his work of mercy once he dies on the cross. He does not complete his work of mercy once he dies on the cross. And it doesn't make sense a lot of times to say, like, Jesus died for you and he rose for you. Well, that seems like Jesus could have risen for himself and it would have been just fine, you know? Like, there's no real work of charity that Jesus rose for us. I would want to rise from the dead if I was killed, too. What do you mean Jesus rose for me? What does that mean? We oftentimes find ourselves, whenever we feel like we have been merciful to someone, or paid them back, given them something out of mercy, like the only thing that we need to do is just die for them. Just to lay down for them. And we can think that Jesus does the same thing. As if Jesus dies for us, and then he crosses his arms in heaven and he says, look at, look at what I've done for you. I've died for you. Now what will you do? But what Jesus does out of mercy rising for us, not only does he die, but then he goes to those people who have denied him and he finds them. And out of mercy, he goes through that door that is locked for fear of the Jews, and he gives them the power to forgive sins. That is, the very people that wronged him, out of mercy, he is not done just when he dies. No, he goes and finds the person that betrayed him, and then says, look, I am giving you the power to be my disciple again. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and he says, peace be with you. I can't stress this enough. It is so easy to think that we have done everything we can for the person that betrayed us. And then, in bitterness, say, look, I've done everything I could. And then to wipe our hands clean. But Christ, in his mercy, shows us that he actually goes to the person who has betrayed him because they are weak. They have been weakened by their own sins. And they need to have power again to love. And they cannot reach that by themselves. Sin affects not only the one who is sinned against, but more so the sinner himself. The sinner himself is crippled. A second little detail, and these details, I'm not trying to make one larger point or anything, just a few observations. It seems like at the end of this gospel, like this is the end of John's gospel. But there, John has an epilogue. And the epilogue is this, it's Peter being restored to Jesus. Now, Peter has to say, Jesus, I love you three times because he has denied uh, Jesus three times. 
But it's curious, because all of the disciples, all the apostles are in the upper room, except for Thomas, which means that Jesus gave Peter the ability to forgive sins without having the difficult conversation, hey, remember that time you betrayed me three times? In other words, in bigger picture, what Jesus doesn't say is, everyone else here has the power to forgive sins except for you, Peter, because you didn't. Because you betrayed me three times. And I, or you denied me three times. And we need to have this difficult conversation first. Now, there needs to be some distinctions here. Of course, we do need to reconcile with our friends, with our enemies, before doing certain things. But for Christ, what we see here, the, the mission to send the apostles out and to forgive sins cannot wait. It is time-sensitive. And because it is time-sensitive and it cannot wait, because their vocation is so important to go and forgive sins, Jesus says to all, everyone in the room, whose sins you forgive are retained, are forgiven, whose sins you do not forgive are retained. Which means, Peter, I know that there's beef between us, but still I am not withholding from you my power. There's a greater vocation here that you and go be Christ to others. We see this clearly uh, within church teaching that the priest, even who is in mortal sin, can still forgive sins, can still confect the Eucharist. But it also means within marriages and families, within um, even companies, workplaces as well, that if there is a sin between two people, we should consider if the mission that we both serve is greater right now, and that for now we must serve the mission and not let bitterness get in between that, not let bitterness impede us from serving what God has called us to do. And then the third point, the third point, that blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. I don't think that Jesus is simply talking about the nail marks in his hands here, or in his side. But more so, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed in the forgiveness of sins. The sacrament of confession, along with the anointing of the sick, is the one sacrament that we receive without a certificate. There is nothing that is given to the penitent when they make their first confession. Also, what is to say that our sins are truly forgiven except for the authority of a man who is dressed in robes and a stole? We often say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins because we have the sacrament of confession. But do we really? Because actions speak louder than words. And to believe in the forgiveness of sins is to believe that when I leave the confessional, that my eternal punishment is remitted, and therefore I am no longer a, a debtor toward God for my salvation. That I no longer should be living out of some sort of shame. They feel like I always have to prove my existence. If our actions are still fueled by this shame, then perhaps we don't believe in the forgiveness of sins. Perhaps we don't. Again, Christ, in his mercy, did not simply die for us. 
he also rose for us. And he expects the same response, that we don't simply die in our shame and in our contrition, but that we rise again and that we practice charity. Now, this has to be said with distinction as well. A man can't say, look, I have just committed murder, go to confession and then have his sins forgiven and say, look, there's nothing else that I owe. No, he has to make reparation to his neighbor. He still has to do that. There's a wonderful book called Crime and Punishment uh, by author Fyodor Dostoevsky. It's an old Russian uh, book. And the criminal uh, who commits double homicide, Raskolnikov, he spends the whole book after the murder just in his head and within his guilt. And only, not when he is pardoned from the crime, after he is pardoned from the crime, he still experiences shame and guilt. But after he gives himself in love to the person who loves him, his only friend, is he finally remedied of that guilt. Christ rose for us that we can be freed from, the, from our sins and so receive his grace, his Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can love again. And that means the believing in the forgiveness of sins, but also making reparation, repairing those relationships in which we have offended and so that we can have charity again cannot be emphasized enough. The reception of mercy is not just simply to say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, but also say, Lord Jesus Christ, receive me in heaven. Receive me in your arms. Receive me in your neighbor. Receive my charity.